we have been uh, the previous two weeks emphasizing our hope based upon the second coming of Christ. Uh, as we come closer to Christmas Day, I want to shift gears and see how the hope of those uh, before Christ's first coming applies to our hope today. And the first arrival of Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of hope. Uh, God's people had spent millennia waiting for the fulfillment of the promise that started in the Garden of Eden when God promised to bruise the head of Satan. And God's people looked for their Messiah throughout all the days of the patriarchs, throughout all the days of their enslavement, throughout the days of their exodus, uh, through the days in the promised land, the days of both the judges and the kings, even in the days of their rebellion. There was a remnant that still looked for his coming. The days of their exile, the days of their return and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the days of God's silence between the two testaments. They waited for so long for their hope to be realized. Now here in Luke chapter 1, God sends an angel to Mary, a faithful young lady, and tells her how her hope will soon be realized through her yielding to the impossible. As we look at these aspects of their, this passage, I want to apply the same truths to our lives that we see in Mary's. And let us see our hope in these same lights. Let's see how, first of all, our hope comes from letter one, uh, Roman numeral one, the impossible. Our hope comes from the impossible. Hope stems from the impossible. That which is possible requires no hope. Amen? And at least... The attained, the unattained, if nothing else, we do not have. Uh, if we uh, we do not have something, or something is not available to us, and so we hope for it. In Mary's case, the hope that all of Israel, the hope that was all of Israel's, uh, had uh, was seemed to be impossible for this young maiden. Uh, here she was, unmarried, and yet this angel came and told her something that seemed impossible. Uh, so we see the impossible, first of all, in Mary's pregnancy, letter A. Uh, the angel came to Mary and told her, uh, verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a child, uh, forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his king, of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse 27 tells us that Mary was a spouse to a man named Joseph, and she was not married yet. Uh, so it is understandable that Mary may ask how this is going to happen. I don't think it was a lack of faith on Mary's part. Uh, she just didn't understand how this could happen with the information that she had at this point. And so she asked a sensible question. How shall this be? She was unmarried. How could she become a mother? Unfortunately, this is not assumed much any longer. Uh, she is, uh, so she is told something very difficult for her to understand. In those days, uh, an unmarried woman just didn't have a child. Uh, it happened from time to time, but very rarely. And uh, he will be God's son, though. That's how it's going to happen here. A birth without a father. A peasant girl becoming the mother of God. Uh, God becoming a person. What seemed impossible, those things that seem impossible are never impossible with God. Amen? And this is where the hope of Christmas comes in. Mary did not limit God. 
God came and worked in Mary's impossibilities. And salvation was the result for all mankind that would accept him. And we too have an impossible situation. Our, we have many impossible situations, really. But one that glaringly appeared in my mind was the impossibility of our righteousness, letter B. Our righteousness. Just as he came and worked in Mary's impossibilities, he sent Jesus to earth to take care of our impossible situation. You see, on our own, we cannot be righteous. Romans 3.10 tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We try to do right, hoping that maybe the good will outweigh the bad. But that really doesn't matter, does it? We know that. The Word of God says in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If we fail in even just one area, the Bible tells us we are guilty of all. The standard is not more good than bad. God's standard is zero bad. That's a high standard. And by the way, that's not possible. There is none righteous, no, not one. But God knew this. And he tells us if we will give him our impossible requirement, he will make a way. And Titus 3.5 tells us, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is why Jesus is our hope. And Paul calls him that as well. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. He is still our hope, amen? God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. This extends to so much more than just our salvation, however, amen? We gib, uh, glibly quote, couldn't get the word out, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And we, it's a good quote, it's something to promise on, but do we really believe it sometimes, amen? We rarely do we apply it to our lives fully. That word all means all, amen? Now the Bible warns us we should never tempt God. I don't recommend walking to a cliff's edge and quoting Philippians 4.13 and jumping off. At least if you do, don't expect to just float there. Deuteronomy 6.16 contains another command that isn't part of the big ten commandments, but it says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And just because you're not supposed to tempt God doesn't mean you shouldn't try God, though. Amen? When you come to an impossible situation and all, uh, all avenues are pointing and all signs are pointing that you're supposed to go through that impossible situation, that's the time that you trust the Lord. Amen? Trust him and keep moving. Yield your will to his. Then pray, asking God to help you. And then step out in faith. And people tend to just say that's not, that's not possible. And then just kind of walk away and quit. I heard a story this week of Charles F. Kettering, who worked for General Motors. And he said, when I was a research head of General Motors and wanted a problem solved, I'd place a table outside the meeting room with a sign that said, leave slide rules here. 
He said, if I didn't do that, I'd find someone reaching for a slide rule. And then he'd be on his feet saying, boss, you can't do it. <laughs> but he left it out, and they tried anyways. Amen? He also said, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. Amen? And I would add to that, a problem well stated in prayer is a problem solved. Amen? Now, it may not be solved the way we want it to sometimes, but it'll still be solved. Our hope comes from the impossible. Secondly, our hope comes from the chosen. Our hope comes from the chosen. Not our choice, but God's choice. Mary didn't choose to be pregnant. And we see, first of all, that God chose Mary, letter A. Verse 26 is that in the sixth month of the angel, Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to Mary. God chose her. God could have picked anyone throughout the course of time to be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of Jesus. And yet, God chose Mary in that town in that year. Why? Well, no one but God can really tell you. Other than that, what the Bible says. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them which are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He says, But when the fullness of time was come. God had a time and woman picked out and that when the fullness of time was come, it was accomplished. You see, God is sovereign. Amen? That means he gets to do what he wants to do <laughs> in simple terms. He's God and he decides the way he wants it to be. I'm grateful for that. I don't know about you. It's something that I can rest in, not be frustrated in. If I truly understand God and who he is, I can rest in him. Now, some people that don't have a good relationship with their earthly father may struggle with resting in God's sovereignty. But know that God the Father is a perfect father. He will never harm you or hurt you. He may allow some things to come in our lives to help us and teach us, just as the Father would instruct us and chastise us. But He is a loving Father. But it's not a chance. God is sovereign, and He is in control. Even casting lots before the Lord, uh, it, it, it was not chance. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16.33, in the old days, to figure out God's will, they would cast lots. We think of pulling something out of a, a bag, and, or uh, we, do, we do like a short straw, you know, or something like that, and things like that. Uh, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Especially before the days whenever they didn't have the word of God, they didn't have the Holy Spirit and stuff like that, God used this. But it was still controlled. It wasn't just chance, especially when they yielded it to the Lord. How much more would his plan for redemption not be left up to chance? By the way, I don't recommend it today, uh, living your life by casting lots. Uh, we have the word of God in our hand. He has given us all we need to know. We just got to be willing to do the work. It may be easier to draw a short straw than it is to dig into the word of God. But that's not what God planned. 
Okay? But he chose Mary. Look again, verse 28. So the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that, art, that, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. The words thou that art highly favored, literally translated, means you who have been graced. The idea is that it was not based upon Mary's merit. The favor of God was on her because God chose her. Our hope comes from the choosing of Mary. But our hope also comes from the fact that, let her be, God chose you. God chose you. It's not based upon our own merit. It's not based upon our own righteousness. We saw a moment ago that we have no worth there. There is none righteous, no, not one. The fact that this impossible thing has happened, we have been declared righteous, is not because of us. It is because God chose us. John 15, 16 says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he shall give it to you. In fact, we were chosen before the world was ever even created. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You say, well, now, wait a minute. What about free will? If God has chosen me, does that mean I have no choice? Of course not. God's word still says, whosoever will may come. We have to take the whole of Scripture, not just a couple of verses out of context. We have to take the whole of Scripture and get an understanding of God's plan. The language, whenever he says, whosoever will may come, is the language of free will. It just is. There's no getting away from that. I've heard people try to explain it away, but there's no explaining it away. God gives us the free will to choose him. Well, how does that work then? We are chosen, but yet we choose to accept him. Some say it's an uh, irresistible grace if you are chosen. You will accept him. You really have no choice. But that removes the verses that talk about free will. I believe the answer is in Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. The Bible says, whom he did foreknow, literally to know beforehand. He did predestinate to determine, to declare. He knew us before the foundation of the world. And God knew who would accept him. He predestinated them to be saved. I believe this is the only balance that lines up with all of Scripture. When you look at all of Scripture, it's the only thing, I believe, that balances it all. But the fact that we yielded to His grace does not negate or do away with the fact that God has chosen us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Amen? I have a friend in high school that was adopted. 
When she came to the realization that she was adopted and what that meant, she began to feel like she was not special because her birth mother had put her up for adoption. Her dad, seeing this change in her and the discouragement that that brought, took her aside and told her, you don't understand your worth. He said, I chose you out of all the children that I could have adopted. I chose you. From that day forward, her self-esteem was not wrapped up in her perceived weaknesses, a mother who had rejected her, but it was wrapped up into the fact that she was chosen. Our identity is not based upon our failures, amen? Our identity is based upon the work of Jesus Christ, which made us chosen, which made us forgiven, which made us righteous, which made us adopted. Our hope is not only found in the impossible, us being righteous. Our hope is not only found in the choosing, we are chosen by God himself. But thirdly, our hope comes from, number three, the yielding. The yielding. We see this in Mary's life as well. Mary had free will as well. She could have said, no thank you. (laughs) Do you know what this will cost me? It may very well cost me the man that I love. Or at least the man I'm espoused to. I don't know, it was arranged marriages back then. But no thanks, she might have said. But when she heard that God, what God was going to do, the impossible through her, because God had chosen her out of all the girls throughout time, God chose her. We see letter A, first of all, that Mary yielded. Verse 38, the Bible tells us, And Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She declared a couple of things in this one simple statement. Unless you pay attention, you might not even see it. First, she declared that she was God's bondservant, the handmaiden. She was yielding herself not just to do this one thing, but to be his bondservant. The word handmaid is translated from the Greek word doule, which is the feminine version of doulos where our ver, uh, other, uh, in, the, in the epistles, the word doulos is used as slave or bondservant or servant of Christ. And the bondservant was not just a slave. The bondservant was one who willingly chose to serve another person. This comes from Exodus 21, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them, if thou uh, buy a Hebrew servant... Six years shall he serve, and in the seventh he shall go out and free, go out free for nothing. Then down to verse five it says, "And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will no go, not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him forever. It was a marking; he would pierce his ear." And he would, it was a marking that this person was different than everyone else. This was not just a slave. This was a bondservant. The servant was marked as a servant who had made a bond with his master. Mary declared herself. She was plainly saying, I love my master. I will serve you, Lord. And then she said, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you say, I will do. 
Mary yielded to God's will. And the next we see of Mary, she's arriving at her cousin Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and spake out with a loud voice and blessing from God upon Mary. And John the Baptist was in her belly in six months uh, of age in that time. Why do we count age by the day we're born? If, if, if we're truly, uh, uh, you know, pro-life, shouldn't it be counted from conception? Well, anyways, I, I digress. Uh, but she, he was uh, six months old in her womb. Uh and he leapt for joy when he heard the voice of Mary. Boy, what an amazing thing that is, amen? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and gives this greeting. Mary then is filled with the Holy Spirit as well, and she begins to rejoice and praise God for what he has done for her. In that praise, she speaks of the hope that they have uh, that, uh, uh, that they've had in their coming Messiah. Luke 1, 54 and 55 says, He that holpen or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. The promised Messiah from the beginning, as was reiterated from Abraham and his seed after him, this Messiah has now come. The fulfillment of that hope was here. Not only was Mary's yielding brought forth in this hope and helped to bring forth this hope, but we also see in our lives as well that our hope comes from your yielding. Your yielding, let her be. God's promise, the hope of our salvation, is freely given to all. But there is one, what some might call a stipulation. The gift must be received. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says in Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I had an illustration and I left it at home. I just realized that's okay. You have it? No, that's right. It'll take too long. I'll just get to eat the candy that I put inside the gift. It was a gift to me. <laughs> But I, have, I, had a, I had a gift that was all wrapped and ready to go. And I was going to say, this gift is for the first person who takes it. And William stood up and started. <laughs> it's not here. Sorry, you can't take it. I was going to say, who would have the faith to come up and take the gift from my hand? And I would say, what makes the gift theirs? They had to come to me. They had to believe that I would give it to them. They had to receive the gift from me. You need to yield to what I say in order to get the gift. This is not just limited to salvation. Do you want God's help with your decisions? Well, God said in James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto you. You need to come to God. You need to believe enough to ask Him for wisdom. You need to use the wisdom that God gives you. Often through biblical principles found in God's Word, God leads us through that wisdom, and He begins to apply Scripture and show us how to use God's scripture to make our decisions. You need to yield to his promise. 
Do you want God's help in difficult times? 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things. Boy, that's a statement. Amen? That ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You have everything that you need because of the grace of God to do anything that God wants you to do. God will give you the grace that you need to do and what you're called to do. You just need to yield to that grace. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It's a gift. We just have to be willing to receive it. Oh, but so many times we see the gift there. We know it's there. The grace is there to help us. But we just keep going on with our lives and say, well, I'll figure it out. And we struggle and have problems and make wrong decisions. And the grace is sitting right there wrapped up in a pretty bow. But we don't ever yield to it. We just need to walk in that grace. The hope we have for eternity is based upon our yielding to his plan of salvation. The hope that we have in this life is based upon your yielding to his grace, which is sufficient. The hope that we have while we wait for the future coming of Jesus Christ is based upon our yielding to his word and his grace. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 8 says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end. He's going to hold you and keep you to the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to, the real joy and peace of this holiday season? It's going to be based upon you yielding to that hope we have in believing what God has said. Romans fifteen thirteen says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope, through the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, how important it is that we pay attention and learn what God says in his word and yield to that. How much happier our lives would be if we would just yield to God in every area of our lives. Our hope comes when we see what, in what seems impossible. But we have this hope because we know that we are chosen by God himself. We can see this hope fulfilled in our lives if we just yield to his will. Mary was faced with an impossible situation. God sent an angel to tell her she would have a child, even though she was not married. She marveled at the idea that God could have chosen her. Here in verse 28 and 29, it says, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. <coughs> Catch what she says here. What, what happens here? She says, And when she saw him, 
She was troubled at his saying. And listen to this phrase. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. It's not a phrase we use very often. But the Bible says she cast in her mind. This is, this is translated from a Greek word. Uh, uh, I, I was going to struggle over this word. I knew I was. Dialogizomo. There we go. Something like that. It's, uh, I, I messed it up. I know the emphasis on one thing, but that's all I know. Anyways. But this word is a, is a it, the word means a dialogue. Uh, it actually, it comes from, our word dialogue comes from this word or the root of this word. And it means to consider or to reason with yourself. It's the idea of dialoguing with yourself. You ever done that? Is that just me? <laughs> no, I just carry on this whole conversation that's going on in my head, you know. And well, It's dialoguing with yourself. That's what's happening here with Mary. She's amazed. She's like, what's happening here? <laughs> and she's dialoguing with herself. She couldn't believe that God had chosen her. She didn't even know what she was chosen for yet. But she continued the wonder when, to wonder when she, uh, she wondered how this could be. But she had to come to the place where she just said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. She had to yield to God's will. There may be a day that the Lord comes to you and requires of you what seems impossible. But if he has chosen you, then you only need to yield in order to see the impossible become true. You won't have an angel come before uh, and appear before you. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> That'd be kind of scary, I think. There's a reason they say fear not, okay? You won't have an angel most likely come to you. But you'll know. You'll know. I remember as a teenager, I would, we would say things, how do you know what God's will is? <clears throat> and I felt like I was being called to, to preach. <clears throat> I didn't know what capacity. And in my mind, I said, I'll never be a pastor. <laughs> Don't ever say that. And in my, you know, I, I knew God wanted me in ministry. But I, I was like, am I just... Is it something I want? Is it something that I think will make other people happy? Is it something that God really wants? I've just struggled over it. And I came to my youth pastor and I said, how do you know if you're being called to preach? How do you know if you're being called to ministry? And he, his answer frustrated me. He said, you'll just know. That's so helpful. <laughs> other times I came to somebody, I said, well, how do you know when she's the one? How do, you, how do you know? I don't want to mess up and marry the wrong girl. How do you know? And the same answer would come. You'll just know. Not helpful. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. When I knew, I knew. You'll just know. When God comes to you and says, I want you to do this, you'll know. Oh, you may fight against it. The truth is, I think I knew very early on that I would pastor. I just didn't want it. I was raised under a, in a pastor's home. I knew the hurts. I knew the struggles. I knew the long days. I knew the, 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 the turmoil. I, I knew the struggle. And I don't want that for my life. <laughs> but God's grace is sufficient. I wasn't putting that into play. When I finally yielded, it was to the realization that, 
of what I always knew. This is what God wants me to do. Now you just have to yield. You'll know. The early years of the 19th century were troubled times in German Confederation. Rumors of revelation and rioting had the federated government in panic. And Clemens von Metternich, the chief statesman of the Confederation, ordered thousands of young men drafted into the army to guard the borders and put down internal revolts. Across the countryside, young men in uniform tramped off to an unknown destiny. In one German village stood a grand old stone-walled church with ornately carved facade and beautiful uh, stained glass and a stately pipe organ. The organ was famous throughout the region for its beautiful, rich tone. One day, the aged caretaker of the church was interrupted during his chores by a knock on the great oak door, the sanctuary. He opened the door to find a young man in uniform on the steps. He said, sir, I have a favor to ask of you. The young soldier began. Would you please permit me to play the organ for one hour? I'm sorry, young man, the caretaker replied. No one but our own organist is permitted to play the organ. But sir, I've heard so much about this organ at this church, and I've walked for many miles just to see it, just to play it for a single hour. The aged man paused for a minute and then shook his head sadly. Please, the soldier pleaded. My commander gave me just a 24-hour leave. In a few more days, we move to another province where the fighting is expected to be heavy. This may be my last chance to play this organ. The caretaker reluctantly nodded. He swung the door open and beckoned the soldier inside. And then he took a key from his pocket and held it out to the soldier. He said, the organ is locked. Here's the key. The soldier took the key and unlocked the ornate cabinet of the organ. And then he began to play. A billow of majestic chords rolled from the great golden pipes of the organ. The caretaker stood transfixed as the glorious music just washed over him bringing tears to his eyes. He moved to one of the pews and just sat down as if entranced. Within minutes, people from the village began to gather at the church doorway to hear where this music is coming from and what's going on, and they peered in, and soon they removed their hats and came in uh, to the sanctuary and sat down to listen. Streams of beautiful music filled the sanctuary for one hour. Then the gifted fingers of the organist struck a final chord and lifted his hands from the keyboard. The young man closed and locked the cabinet of the keyboard. He stood and turned and was surprised to see that the church was nearly filled with villagers who had laid aside their chores to listen to the music. Humbly, he received their compliments, and the young soldier walked down the center aisle to return the key to the caretaker. Thank you, said the young man. The old man rose to his feet and took the key. Thank you, he answered. Began to grasp the young man, the young soldier's hand. He said, young man, that was the most beautiful music these old ears have ever heard. What is your name? 
He said, my name is Felix. Felix Mendelssohn. The old caretaker's eyes widened as he realized whose hands he grasped. The hands of the young man who, before he was even 20 years old, had become one of the most celebrated composers on the European continent. The old man gazed, followed the young soldier as he left the church and disappeared into the village street. To think, the old man wondered aloud, the master was here, and I almost failed to give him the key. So it is with us. The master is here. God is with us. His grace envelops us. If you give him the key to your heart, he can make such beautiful music with your life. Music that can make the world stop, listen, and wonder. The master's here. He's ready to do the impossible by his grace. It's not only our duty, but it's our joy to give him the key to our lives. The hope that we have in Christ comes in the most impossible circumstances. The hope comes with the realization that we have been chosen. But the hope will only be realized in our lives if we are willing to yield our lives to God and give him the key. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people. I pray that you guide our thoughts, Lord, as we go. And may we yield to you our lives. Oh, how important it is. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to see where your will is and how and where we're supposed to yield. And help us to be willing to do it. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's sing. There's room at the cross.